what I'd love you to do, actually, is just open up your hands, because we want to hear from God today, don't we? He's here by his presence. But I just want you to just quieten yourself before God. Still yourself. And I'd like you just to, to ask God to speak to you. Lord Jesus, we say we are here for you this evening. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you work in us? Would you do uh, what only you can do? God, we want to pray, let us hear your voice. Let us be changed. We ask for that in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. Okay, this Wednesday, uh, we'll be kicking off 40 for 40. And what that is about is we're looking for 40 people from our church. There can be more, but we're looking for at least 40 people from our church committing for 40 days to pray for our church. And really the question is, what could God do? We know he's the way maker. We know he's the one who can open things up. Imagine if God answered the prayers we've been praying for. We've been looking for breakthrough in a number of areas. I'll come to that uh, later on. But uh, God... Imagine what God could do. And I, I, in a sense, there's this call and there's this commitment as we're learning to pray as a church, uh, to learn persistence in prayer and to learn to cry out to God for breakthrough and transformation. So how we do that, if you sign up for that, and there'll be a sign-up sheet at the back of the church today, every day you'll receive a WhatsApp message with a prayer point to really pray for regarding the church. Every week you'll receive a video message from uh, leadership couples sharing and encouraging you uh, with some stories and encouraging you to carry on pressing on in prayer. We'll have opportunities to gather together corporately to pray a few times in that time. But really, it's a wonderful opportunity to learn how to pray because God's been teaching us that and he is teaching us that and it's a good way to put that into practice. So I'll come back to that a bit later. So how you use your money is often a really clear indicator of where your treasure lies or what you prioritize. In the same way, whether we pray or not, I think is a key marker or a key indicator in whether we're really trusting in the God of the Bible as revealed in Scripture. See, my story is this. I became a Christian uh, when I was about 14 years old. And from that point onwards, I read the Bible, and I was persuaded that prayer was important. I think probably from that age onwards, I could have probably taken you to passages of Scripture and explained and given you an apologetic of why prayer was important and why we should commit to it. But it probably wasn't really until we were planting a church in Istanbul that I began to pray with more desperation and dependence than I previously had. And that's not saying I didn't pray before. I did. I did commit to praying, but there was something about, in terms of where I placed it on the priority scale, there were other things competing for it in terms of what I put my trust in. And suddenly, I found in Istanbul, when we were church planting, I looked out and thought, wow, we're not very gifted, and we don't really uh, have great things, I don't really bring much to the party here to see life's transformed. I'm not particularly adept at culture. Actually, if I spend another two hours preparing this preach, it won't make it much better and compelling and persuasive. God's got to turn up, otherwise we're basically shipwrecked. And so suddenly prayer became this huge priority because I realized without God, we were very much sunk. 
So we started learning to pray more desperately and more passionately. And I knew God was inviting us, as a, God inviting me and inviting us as a congregation to get on this journey of what does it mean to cry out to God to do what only God can do, which is win hearts and transform people. And some stuff was remarkable. So there was this lady called Alima in our church. Her husband had just come to us and he'd become a Christian, which was exciting. But anyway, so she wasn't a believer. I'd spoken to her when he'd become a Christian and got baptized, and she said, you know, it's really good for him. He seems to have made a difference in his life, but I don't believe it. But anyway, she started coming along. Anyway, she came along on Sunday. She also came along. The other thing we really did as a church was a Sunday and a prayer meeting each week. And so she started coming along to our prayer meeting. And about three weeks in, we'd been praying for her a lot, about three weeks in, uh, we were just having a normal prayer meeting. We were having a worship time. And at the end of the worship time, she said, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've saved me. Anyway, I listened to this prayer and thought that's interesting for someone who doesn't believe. Anyway, I spoke to her after the prayer meeting and said, What's going on? And she said, Well, at the start of the song, I didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. By the end of the song, I knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and God's Holy Spirit had come upon me and persuaded me that it was so, and I've put my faith in him. And it was this wonderful moment where, once again, I was reminded, it's not because of what we bring, it's because of what God does. And more and more, I wanted to see, God, would you do the stuff that only you can do, because I really don't have much to bring to the party. And I felt, in the last six years... I felt like we've lived 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29, a lot more than I'd ever lived before, where it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one can boast before him. And we lived with that. I was very confident we weren't particularly gifted at all. But God was very gifted. Now, that doesn't mean we go, let's not try and be good, but it, in terms of competent. But there was definitely a gap where I recognized it had to be God. And actually, coming back to England, I'm here with the same conviction. In our culture, I feel somewhat more competent. I think I'm more gifted slightly as a communicator, but even then, regarding current cultural issues, I'm still way off the mark because everything has changed so quickly in the last six years. But even with any competence and any gifting we may bring to the table, we desperately need God to blow on it. Actually, I look at us as a church, and I think we do stuff competently. I think there's genuinely a level of competence. But what we long to see is God to blow on it and for fire to come up on it and suddenly the stuff we've been dreaming for to start taking place. And we are seeing some of that, but there's more. And here's the privilege. God has invited us to partner with him in bringing about his kingdom purposes through prayer. There's this invitation this year, particularly as we as a church are learning to pray, to partner with God to learn to see his kingdom purposes come about through prayer. I feel quite Baptist, I'm going to say three points. And the first one is this. There's a conviction that prayer is essential. We've got to have a conviction that prayer is essential. As part of my daily Bible reading, I've been reading through the Gospels once again. And what I find so striking is that Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is fully God and fully man, 
prioritises prayer. He often withdrew from the busyness of ministry to spend time praying. Let me just read a few verses from Luke's Gospel just to highlight this and bring it home. You've got this bit where it talks about the crowds continually gathering to Jesus. I mean, it says in Luke 5. But he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The night before he chooses the 12 apostles' disciples, what's it say he does? In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Prior to his transfiguration, which was when his appearance changed uh, on the mountain and suddenly the disciples saw him in all his glory, it says this, he took with him Peter and John and James, so there were a group of them there in this instance, and went up on the mountain to pray. And then just before the biggest anguish Jesus ever faced, before his crucifixion, we read this. So after uh, the Passover meal, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And he withdrew with them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, as was his custom. Jesus, the Son of God, prioritized prayer. If Jesus, the one who embodies perfect humanity, flawlessness, communed with God the Father in prayer, if Jesus brought his needs and upcoming issues to God in prayer, I would argue that we, in our weakness and in our brokenness and in our frailty, also need to come to God in prayer. Jesus is our example who's held up, and we go, okay, he needed to pray. Actually, that's a good idea. Secondly, we live with a conviction that Jesus wants to teach us how to pray. You see, we don't simply hold to a model that says, Jesus was a prayer, therefore you should pray more. We don't, as a leadership team, just put a heavy weight on you saying, pray more. Go on. Pray more, because that's what you should do as Christians. Because the good news is this. Jesus is willing and wants to teach us how to pray. We're invited into the school of prayer for him to come and teach us. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, we read the following. following. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus' response wasn't just to go, you should know it by now, haven't you been around me enough? It wasn't to go, you just learn it yourself. It was, okay. And then we read this, and he said to them, when you pray, say. And so he models to them what praying is. We see that in the transfiguration, he took the disciples up the mountain, three of the disciples up the mountain with him to pray. So there were principles. They saw, they saw him pray. Now, we live in a different part of the story, don't we? Jesus in the earthly body is no longer amongst us. But God the Father has sent the Holy Spirit to us. And what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit's role? Wonderful words. John, Jesus says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. That includes prayer, by the way. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
Moreover, the Apostle Paul writes to the believers in Rome with these words. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is committed to teaching us how to pray. He comes to help us in our weaknesses. When we cry out, to, when we cry out God, teach us how to pray, we're not, coming, we're not coming up against God's reluctance. Rather, we're coming in line with his willingness to teach us, to train us. His desire is to commune with us in prayer and for us to learn how to pray. So firstly, Jesus is our example. Secondly, Jesus is our teacher through the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we have a conviction that we need to learn to battle and persevere in prayer. And God's spoken to us about some things as a church we're living with, but we haven't seen yet. And if we're going to see those things come to pass, it will be through us learning, at least in part, to battle and persevere in prayer. And I'll be honest, prayer is hard work. Most of our human relationships are when we see someone one-to-one, or else we've got a screen in front of us, we can see their face, we come to approach the invisible God. It's slightly different to a normal relationship, but nonetheless, it is a relationship. But prayer is hard. Sometimes it feels like you're just shouting at the ceiling. Pete Grieg, who knows a thing or two about prayer, uh, having kind of led the 24-7 prayer movement for the last 20 years or so, says this. After decades of night and day prayer, I've come to believe that 99% of it is just showing up. Making the effort to become consciously present to the God who is constantly present to us. Isn't that helpful? You come into the presence of God and you show up. God invites us to seek him with huge promises. So in our office on the wall, we have this verse. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Or the disciples, they approach Jesus and they say, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, Jesus, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So there are these huge promises and invitations to pray audacious prayers. But what are we to do with unanswered prayers or prayers that are slow in being answered? How can we reconcile it with the promises? And I don't think there's an easy answer. But I also think the Bible is very clear that there's that tension point. They're open about the tension. The psalmist often expresses in a cry of anguish, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? There's this cry that the psalmist is so clear that, yes, there are these promises of God, but also there's this tension point where we're not living in the good of things we've been praying for or crying out for. We need to be honest with God 
about our disappointments and our discouragements when our prayers haven't been answered. We don't want to just bury them. Because actually, God knows you're disappointed, and that's probably going to be a hindrance to your prayer. It's far better to bring it out and bring it to him and say, look, I'm gutted. And how long, O Lord? It's good to be honest like that. But also, the scripture teaches us to persevere in prayer and says that prayer requires perseverance. If you have a Bible, if you can turn to Luke chapter 18. And this is a section of Luke's gospel, which is full of parables, teachings, and stories about what is the identity of the people of God. And one of the hallmarks of the people of God, according to Jesus, is that there are people who persevere in prayer. And Jesus was very clear about the fact we need to persevere in prayer. Verse 1 of that chapter says this. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. You see, the reality is that when prayers aren't, aren't answered and a long time in the answering... We do often lose heart. We do want to give up from praying. And Jesus is saying, look, this will happen. Be prepared and don't give up. Let me try and earth this in a bit of reality and talk about some areas in my life where I'm living with the persistent praying and not yet seeing an answer. I've been praying for my dad, who just turned 80 last year, uh, to put his trust in Jesus for over 25 years. 20 years ago, he came, went on an Alpha course to explore Christianity. I thought he's going to become a Christian then. He didn't. 15 years ago, my brother-in-law was dramatically healed from a prolapsed disc. So he'd been, bed, uh, he'd been signed off work for a year, not been able to go to work, lying down most of the time. Suddenly, healed in an instant was able to do everyday life. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to have a chat with my dad. Surely this is the turning point. And I spoke to him and said, Dad, what do you make of this miracle that took place? And his response was, well, it took God a long time, didn't it? (laughs) So there was still unbelief, even though he did see that there was just dramatic transformation. And I've gone through this cycle of sometimes sort of giving up almost in prayer for a season. But I'm committed to praying for him because I do believe God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I do believe God can work in his heart, even if for the last 25 years I've seen some movement, but not the movement we need to see. For the last six years, uh, we poured our lives into seeing a church planted in Istanbul. And then we moved back this summer. And actually, at the same time, four leadership couples have all moved since us moving and now. And what that's meant is you've got a church with a number of really enthusiastic, Jesus-loving young believers, Turkish. But also, you've got no real person taking it on with leadership, gifting, and vision, pushing it forward. And I'm praying, oh God, would you bring a Turkish leader through who's got gifting and a heart and who can unite this thing and build something. And I've been praying for that for the last six months. At the moment, it's still not there. And it's something I put, well, something we as a church, but it's something we poured our lives into. And I'm still praying for that. 
So this idea of needing to persevere in prayer is something I'm living with, as you are living with, and I'm sure you've got your stories to share. So let's read this parable. What motivates us to keep going in prayer? And Jesus told them this parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, says in the message, badgering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you the truth, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? You see, in this parable, Jesus is drawing a contrast. There's a judge. Yet this judge was not interested in justice. It says in the message translation, he never gave a thought about God and cared nothing for people. In the Middle East, when someone's crying out for help, they will often say this, well, in Turkey, they say this, which means, for Allah's sake, for God's sake, help me. And if, so they go down the, look, God's just, do it for him. Or else they go down the route of describing their plight and saying, look, take compassion on my situation. But the trouble is with this judge, he doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. He's not moved any way for that. He's completely indifferent to the lady's situation and her cries. Moreover, this woman had no influence or little influence in society. Kenneth Bailey writes this, The widow in the Old Testament is a classic symbol of the most vulnerable adults in the culture. In Middle East society, women do not go to courts. Men go for them. When this woman appears, the reader knows that she is alone, with no father, uncle, brother, nephew to speak for her. She must plead her case alone. So you've got this indifferent judge. You've got this vulnerable lady on her own. And alone and against impossible odds, the widow, widow plays the only card she can, which is her loud and her persistent pleading. She refuses to be ignored or turned away. And day after day, she approaches the judge and says, give me justice. Give me justice, she says, day after day after day. And this judge, who is completely indifferent, doesn't care for her situation, actually his heart never changes. He doesn't relent because he suddenly feels compassion. No, his heart remains as hard as ever. It's just he wants the lady to stop bothering him. He wants the lady to stop wearing him down. As the message says, I'd better do something than see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. 
So this judge, completely indifferent, but nonetheless, because this lady was audacious and persistent, she finally gets her justice. And then Jesus isn't saying, and God's like that judge. Rather, he's saying, Jesus, God is so different to this judge. If this judge, who is so indifferent, fears, does not fear man or God, nonetheless grants justice, how much more will God, who loves justice, who cares for people's plight, how much more, how much more will he answer? Jesus identifies the people of God as God's elect. It's those who God's chosen. You see, the point of this parable is, even if though this, judge, this unjust, indifferent judge gave mercy and justice in the end, how much more will a God who loves justice, who loves the people who are crying out to him, come and answer their prayers? And he says, and he will come quickly. And there's a slight sting in the tail of Jesus' teaching, isn't it? Because he says, because he sort of gives this urgency of saying, the people of God crying out day and night. Will not God hear their prayer? And then he throws us a challenge. And he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find this kind of persistent faith on earth? Will Jesus find this kind of persistent faith in us, in King's Church Kingston? Oh, God, let it be. Kenneth Bailey puts it like this. Persistence in prayer is appropriate for the believer up until there is an answer. If God denies a request or offers a solution other than the one requested, the faithful person is expected to respond with, Thy will be done. But before the answer is clear, persistence in prayer is part of genuine piety. I found that really helpful. So until you know that God's given an answer, you carry on praying for the things you're praying for. The parable teaches Jesus particularly highlights crying out in prayer for God to bring about justice and intervene. Actually, the preceding verses are talking about being prepared for Jesus coming back and the suffering and opposition and rejection that God's people uh, have often faced. But the application is broader than that. The very first verse talks about this, is, this, prayer, this prover, uh, parable sorry, is to encourage you to pray, continue to pray, and not lose heart. And paired with the Lord's Prayer, it encourages us to consistently and persistently pray bold, audacious prayers for God's kingdom to come. It's an encouragement for me to pray for my dad and not give up, to pray that he becomes, puts his faith in Jesus. It's an encouragement for me to continue to pray that a Turkish leader is raised up who starts leading at Uskadar Yasham Kilisesi. We're in the midst, as a family, in terms of applying for uh, support from the local council for 
our, two of our children with special educational needs. And that's a bit of a journey. It's sort of an up and down little road. Uh, and probably if all goes according to plan, it will take two years from start to finish. And so it's something we're learning to pray about. And a while ago, uh, we got back first application about sort of saying, can we be assessed for uh, this stuff? We got back a letter from the council saying, no, it's not available. Or we don't think there's enough evidence, so no, it's off the table. And then we started, we were disappointed with that, but we started to pray again. And then what happened in the space of a week, uh, I'd got into contact with them. They had rearranged a meeting for us to meet with the school, to meet with the local authority, to discuss an appeal. Uh, there was a meeting which had been, we are told there was going to be an eight-month waiting list to see some medical team. Suddenly that was pushed forward and it, it, it took place. And then also the third thing where for Tom, suddenly the school met with us and said, you know what, we're pushing on your behalf to get the support. So in the space of a week, there was this big turnaround moment. Now there's still this massive journey to go. But this sense of going, you know, I think God gave some breakthrough moments and there's more to go. And it's a journey, and we've got to learn to be persistent. And as we as a church, so you and in your individual lives, there'll be those kind of journeys you're on, where God's saying, don't give up, don't lose heart, carry on pressing in to see God's breakthrough. Also, for us as a church, there are breakthrough moments. And I just want to highlight some of those in the last few minutes. You see, 40 for 40 is going to be part of our journey as a church, learning to pray and learning to prioritize prayer and learning to be persistent in prayer. Because for 40 days we're committing, we're going to pray every day for our church. And actually, maybe then a habit will form, so we'll carry on to do that afterwards. It's an opportunity for us to be like that persistent widow. But we don't come to a judge who's harsh and indifferent. We come to one who's eager to answer, don't we? It's an opportunity for us to pray that God would work in our lives, in the lives of our friends and family, that there'd be lots more stories of what God's doing. An opportunity for us to pray for the church. And there are lots of things that we can pray for, but I just want to highlight some of the things God's been doing in our church over the last year, which I think you'll be really encouraged about. So obviously you did this last year, and obviously as a church, it's not like we're starting from scratch with prayer. We are prayers. So really over the last while, I think it's very clear that God's, God's been kind of bringing the church to a place of healthiness. We've been praying for leadership in the church, haven't we? And a while ago, it was just Philip, who was an elder in the church. Now we've got an eldership team of three. So Philip, Mark, and Patrick. And also now gathering around that, there's also a slightly wider group of people uh, where potentially that might move towards eldership at some point. At the same time, there's a wider leadership team that's thriving, that's healthy. And from that, in the coming year, hopefully we'll bring through some deacons. So it's exciting. You go, where leadership was pretty low, now actually there's quite a few leaders in place. In terms of our social action ministry, a bit over a year ago, we didn't have anything like elderberries. We didn't do anything reaching out to the elderly in our community. And now we've got this group where elderly people can find community and relationships and hopefully hear about Jesus as well. This week, we had Blaze Holiday Club, where 40 children learned about Joseph. And you go, some of those children on Holiday Club first came along to a carol concert a year and a half ago, then have come along to every Holiday Club since and lost the carol concert just this Christmas. And they're slowly hearing about Jesus and also building relationship with us. In terms of community, 
One of the things that really struck me when I returned this summer, and also it's really helpful kind of having that global view when you've been away for a while, is there's a genuine deep sense of community and people loving each other, knowing that they're loved and valued and accepted and building deep relationships and meaningful community. So yeah, it's not perfect, but you go, there's this sweetness about it and there's something wonderful about it. We've actually got some new people coming in and out of church life and actually starting to connect with life groups in the church. It's great to have new people. It's healthy to have a growing family. So there are things where I think you go, actually, over the last year, we've seen changes on that. We've seen progress. We've seen growth. There's healthiness, I think, in church life. But there's also things we're longing for as well. And this is things, I think, on terms of 40 for 40, we can really cry out to God in prayer for. I think the first one is salvation. We long to see more people put their faith in Jesus. Look, we will long to see this church grow primarily through people who don't know about Jesus, coming to know about Jesus, getting baptized and saying, I'm all for him. We're going to win that through prayer, people. I honestly believe the biggest factor in us doing that won't be suddenly doing a new strategy. I think it will be us learning to really come and learn fight for that in prayer. Secondly, we want more stories of miracles and healing. You read Acts, and it's just on every page. And you go, well, what, what's our story? And so you, read, you hear Sophie's testimony about her dad's transformation. You hear about Mark's kidney results suddenly vastly improving. And you go, wow, okay, God still does this today. But we want to see more stories of that, of clear God breakthrough healings where we go, it had to be God. We long to be this place where, just as Jason shared a testimony as we met on Thursday night about someone saying, so what's different about you? And Jason being able to share a bit of the gospel and his story. We want more of those conversations week in, week out, where God opportunities sprout up, where we can just talk about Jesus in a really natural way uh, with colleagues and family and friends. And again, I go, I think the way that's going to come about, lots of that is by God opening up opportunities and through prayer. And I think they're big things to pray for. I think we would long again to come to God. And this feels like a prayer request that I was living with when we were back here years ago for a building which we can call our own, which is King's Church Kingston in Kingston, which is ours, where we can have our offices, where we can do alpha courses, where we can do elderberries, where we can do stuff uh, where people know this is where King's Church Kingston is. And I think we go, let's come and fight for those in prayer. Learn to battle for those in prayer. And 40 for 40 is a great opportunity for us to start and continue on that journey. Let me finish with this. The widow approached a judge that didn't care. She didn't belong in the courtroom, really. But she approached the judge with boldness, nonetheless, with an audacity, nonetheless. In truth, by nature, we don't have a standing by ourselves to boldly approach God and plead uh, our case. We know we can't say, God, would you do this because we have lived such good lives that you owe us, because we haven't. I know that some of you, and all of us to an extent, sometimes feel shame and guilt in even approaching God in prayer. 
You feel like you don't belong. Actually, I haven't got a place there. And the wonder is this. Jesus, who is our model, who is our teacher, who is our advocate, he was the one who was fully God and fully man. He was the one who did no wrong. He was the one who was crucified and died as a criminal to take our sin and take our shame. He was the one who rose again three days later. And the Bible teaches that those who have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they've become adopted into the family of God. They become children of the living God. And suddenly, where in the past they were outcasts and far from God, now they can walk up as children to a Father in heaven who welcomes them, where there's access to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we get the privilege of knowing we can approach. We get the privilege of knowing that the God in heaven is interested and hears My children are not backwards in coming forwards. My children are very comfortable in telling me their requests of what they want, and they will do that more than once. And you know what? Normally, if that is actually for their good, and it's within my resources to do it, I will normally, with joy, normally, uh, with joy, grant that and do it. How much more? that we come to a God who is in heaven, who has all the resources, who loves us, who knows us, who cares for us, and we can approach him. We're no no longer the widow. We're the heirs who can approach. And I just think, I think particularly there's a a few of you, maybe at least one of you in the room, who I think shame almost prevents you from coming towards God in prayer. There's this sense where you go, I don't belong. I don't belong. And so this whole thing of talking about prayer, suddenly it feels like there's this barrier that comes up where you go, well, actually, I don't feel I can really enter God's presence. If you've put your faith in Jesus, Jesus takes away shame and gives honor. He gives you a place at the table. He gives you a place to approach And I think there's probably some breakthrough that needs to take place in terms of God meeting with you uh, and transforming that. But there is a place we can approach. We're invited, just as we're invited to pray. Can I pray? So just say, do sign up for 40 for 40. If there's more place, if, if if the board's already full, don't worry, you can still do it. Please sign your name up so we can get you on the WhatsApp group. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you want to teach us to pray. We want to thank you that you have made a way so we've got access to pray. We want to thank you that you are good. Lord Jesus, we do come like your disciples and we say, teach us how to pray. Teach us to learn to draw near you in prayer, to battle through to see things one in prayer. God, we help us be like the persistent widow. And God, for whether it's uh, us, we've, we've known for years what it is to pray, and we, or whether it's we're new to this, God, please teach us all how to pray wherever we're at. We want to pray, Lord, would we take even more delight in drawing near to you in prayer? Would we see answers? 
God, we, we bring to you our church and we say, God, would you blow on it? <laughs> would you do what only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen.